the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome to the podcast. So we did two pretty serious movies in yeah. a row. Kids, <laughs> the ice storm. So we were feeling like we needed, we needed some. Yeah, we need something to bring us light. out of that. And uh, I think this this is a good choice. Yeah, we're I, we're bringing you out of uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and taking you to the South, Alabama, yeah. for uh, good old my cousin Vinny. This is, I think, one of the few films we've done where I think that this is a relatively well-known movie. Yeah. It did good at the box office and also um, was a success. Mm-hmm. But I think that it is, it's one that might, it's not one that's revisited a bunch. I don't really hear it come up on lists of like the 100 greatest comedies or that kind of yeah. stuff. So it's. Um, and it's really funny. I mean, it's not all out. We'll it's get not into a it. knee slapper. We'll get, but in, we'll get yeah. into that. You know, yeah. it's it's it's, but it falls into the comedy. It's one that shouldn't be forgotten. Genre. Yeah. And um, I feel like the, the the title of it, if you've if you've seen it, you definitely remember it by the title. Um, it it could be something that maybe you just never visited at any point in life. Um, but if not, um. Now's your chance. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll talk about a couple things here with my cousin Vinny. We'll talk about the controversy with Marissa Tomei's Oscar win. Everybody loves a controversy. Uh, we'll talk about uh, sort of the, like we said, it's, like, it's not an all-out comedy, but I mm-hmm. think why this works, I have some examples of another film by the same director that I'll do some compare and contrast. We also wanted to talk about the cast um, I guess Marissa Tomei mm-hmm. again, <laughs> Joe Pesci a little bit, and Fred Gwynn. I love Fred Gwynn. This is how many movies have we talked about out now with Fred? It's like our third Fred Gwynn movie. I think it might be the fourth. fourth. Okay. I think it's fourth. So Pet yeah. Cemetery, um, um, the boy who could fly. Yeah, I did Ironweed for Pick of the Ironweed. Week. Yeah, so we got four and now, movies. Yeah, now my cousin Vinny. Well, Fred Gwynn, we love you. Yeah, obviously. Herman Munster. Yeah. We'll also talk about how. The attorneys of the world, or at least of the uh, uh, American Bar Association, which would be all attorneys because they have to be part of the American Bar Association, really appreciate actually this movie. And Jonathan Lynn, director Jonathan Lynn, was an attorney. Mm -hmm. Not a practicing attorney, but he did go to law school. So it adds a whole other depth. This is a very, we'll talk about that, has a very uh, honest portrayal genuine portrayal of how law works a judicial system how that works and uh we'll do our picks of the week my pick of the week is can't wait clue love it the movie directed by jonathan lynn his first american film and this was one i i was struggling with the pick of the week because i had couple movies I watched that I was going to do and then I didn't like them because I hadn't seen them in a while mm-hmm. and so I was hoping that wasn't going to be the case with Clue because no. I watched it a ton when I was a kid but this is one of those it's it was a really rad and fun movie we'd 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 come to blows if uh you were like really? you know what Clue's bad 
Yeah. I couldn't love that movie too much. Okay. I'm glad I didn't dislike <laughs> it. I didn't know it was, it was a, would have been a thing of contention, but um, we'd have one of our big fights again on a podcast. Again, she... yet again, another fight. Yeah. Well, I did enjoy it, Lindsay. Good. I'm glad. It and I can't good. wait to hear about it, Justin. Yeah. Um, I'm going to spice p- it up more. I really loved it. My pick of the week this time around is Slums of Beverly Hills, uh, which stars uh, Natasha Leone and Marissa Tomei, connected to my cousin Vinny. I love Natasha Leone. Yeah, this was her, her uh, I mean, it wasn't her first movie, but it was definitely one that brought her to the mainstream. Yeah. She's one of the few people that can just like do the, the thing that she does, which is like this one specific kind of tone thing and i just never get sick of it it's just yeah but i mean at the same time too it's not like she's she's not just a one like she isn't just like being herself when acting yeah i don't mean like but she has range but it's all in like a she has a particular yes persona kind of that she's honed in on Mm -hmm. throughout the years and like doesn't stray too far from that but like i i it's such a, and there's a reason why, because it's, it's like she's perfected it. Yeah. It's like her own. Even when she thing. was in like American Pie, she's still being Natasha Leone, and it's you're you're like you're in American Pie though, but somehow mm-hmm. she, she's still great. Well, I'm excited for that pick. I haven't seen that movie in a while, so I'll probably watch that one sometime this week. Oh yeah, it's fun to revisit. It's been a while, so we'll do our pick of the week, and then uh, as always, close it out with the Murray moment. Sounds good. So before we get into My Cousin Vinny, Lindsay, can you tell us what uh, what's My Cousin Vinny about? I would... From the title, this is what it kind of gives... <laughs> <laughs> I would be happy to. So, uh, so My Cousin Vinny is about two boys who are wrongly accused of a murder uh, on a road trip that they're on, and they call upon the only attorney that they can afford... That being uh, one of the main characters' cousins, who would have guessed it, their cousin, uh, Vinny. So, Vincent Gambino is coming down from Jersey and shaking things up in Alabama. And he learns uh, a lot about being an attorney. and um, He learns a lot about grits. Learns about grits. And is uh aided by his uh fiance in trying to get these guys acquitted of murder. There's a lot going on. Yeah. A lot of lot of things at stake in this movie. Yeah. But it's a it's entertaining. This movie's There's a lot there's a lot happening in yeah. the story um but it's really just you you were following the Joe Pesci character. Yeah. Um through him trying to figure out the legal system. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. I'll go to a clip of when they first arrive. Uh, Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei <laughs> arrive uh, in Alabama at the courthouse. Do they got Chinese food? It's oh, that's a terrible. terrible one. Yeah, mm. you can you can do better. You want to go again? Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll go to a clip of them uh, pulling up in Alabama, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about this movie, My Cousin Vinny. I bet the Chinese food is terrible. What? Nothing. You stick out like a sore thumb around here. <laughs> Me? What about you? I fit in better than you. At least I'm wearing cowboy boots. Oh, yeah, you blend. I bet the Chinese food here is terrible. 
I don't see anything out of whack under there. It feels like the wheels went out of balance right after we hit that mud. Nah, that's not it. I think you should put it on a rack and take a look. What's wrong? What? What's the problem? Nothing. The car was shimmying on the highway a little bit. Then you got mud in your tires. I got mud in my tires? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. How do you get mud into the tires? Oh, no, you see, that's just a figure of speech. See, the mud gets around the inside of the wheel, throws the balance off. You ever hear that? Mud in the tires? No. She never heard it. She knows everything about cars. <laughs> now, see, down here, everybody gets stuck in the mud every now and then. Yep, yeah, we're famous for our mud. Famous for your mud? How's your Chinese food? <laughs> Just keep on asking about Chinese food. Can you tell they don't have Chinese restaurants around here? Can let everybody know you're a tourist. It might be called My Cousin Vinny, but Marissa Tomei is what I think of when I think of this movie. Yeah, I think a lot of it is she she ele- elevates the movie. Yeah. Uh, I guess the first thing to talk about is this isn't a straight-out comedy. There's definitely the crime and the elements of the judicial process are a big driver of the story and script Mm -hmm. um though it is a comedy but it's not an all-out comedy and i think it's though i mean yeah we are talking about a murder here yeah but though it does play on some small town stereotypes i think that it's not lowbrow humor there's some smart comedy going on so the use of stereotypes i feel like is necessary in this movie uh it definitely plays on on that from the outset like what we just heard you know two jersey folks fish out of water portrayal story stepping into a a place that they are unfamiliar with completely now i don't think any of it is intended to be or comes across as insulting um it's just something that helps perpetuate the story even though joe pesci plays like the title role of Vinny. Mm -hmm. Um, the movie is not necessarily on his shoulders. Um, it's very true. And I think Joe Pesci is a comedic actor. You know, he, he he's a comedic actor and he does it well. But I, th- I think of this movie as an, an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. And I like to com- compare and contrast. I don't really like to knock movies on this podcast. But yeah. I was going to do Distinguished Gentleman for with my Murphy. pick of the week with Eddie Murphy. Not only was it directed by Jonathan Lynn, but they came out the same year that he released my cousin Minnie. So he had two movies come out that year, which is highly unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, Are but they similar? They're very similar. So we have the fish out of water story. We have a portrayal of like the judicial system is accurately portrayed in my cousin Minnie. The political system is accurately portrayed in Dis- distinguished gentlemen. It's a fish out of water story because Eddie Murphy's sort of this sort of streetwise con man that gets put into the world of real life politics and Joe okay. Pesci's kind of sort of conning his way into pretending what he's doing. Um, but where these two movies split. And I think when I think of a comedy and like, I think of the whole movie resting on someone's shoulders. The reason why I bring up distinguished gentlemen is because I feel like the first 30 minutes of that movie, when Eddie Murphy's doing Eddie Murphy, it's funny, but the rest of the cast doesn't offer much and the Mm. script doesn't offer much for entertainment. It's kind of your run of the mill story. But once we get locked into that story, Eddie Murphy's character has to have like a change of heart. So he has to switch tones. And so the rest of the movie, 
they try to add humor, but the ensemble cast isn't really helping. And Eddie Murphy tries to do his Eddie Murphy stuff. And he, I think when he does it, he does it well in the first 30 minutes. It's like the Eddie Murphy that you know and love. Like Eddie Murphy's going to be good in anything. But uh, with My Cousin Vinny, I think you you constantly have this smart entertainment going on in this ensemble cast. Everybody, no matter how small a role they have, has a place and purpose, and mm-hmm. it's and it's suits the movie. It carries the story, and the reason again, Distinguished Gentleman to me is like where an example of a comedy where it's the the whole movie is set on the shoulders of the comic, and Distinguished Gentleman's like two hours long, and it gets too serious to me. Whereas like My Cousin Vinny gets serious, but we have we still have an entertaining story at play. We still have a functioning, sure. working, star, smart script. And they don't put everything on Joe Pesci's shoulders. It's like a Joe Pesci movie, but he has like a lot of people holding up the movie and keeping the story going and driving it. And I think that's why this movie to me is like really strong and really funny and holds up. And Distinguished Gentleman was a comedy that sort of floundered. Yeah, they they just had so many similarities. That's why I had to. I would have b- never bring it up. Yeah. And same director, same year. It's just a lot. It's crazy that I would have never thought to compare those. But yeah, I, I can see that. Um, one thing with all of the uh, supporting characters in this is like you were saying, the comedy is kind of spread evenly throughout, throughout the movie. Yeah. And I feel like even the tiniest bit role, um, somehow that, that character's introduced. And then later on down the line, you realize why they were introduced or somehow they come back into play for the story, which gives it a, a very complete feel. Um, as a comedy yeah and I think that there it's a movie that knows when to not overuse a joke yeah and because I think that that happens a lot when we have you have a movie and they introduce a joke and it's always like we do it three times that's like the thing in the SNL rule yeah well SNL I think was like they break their rule constantly when they do that's the yeah that's where it goes south and this one I think knows when to stop like the guy that he that with the two hundred dollars, like the second time it's funny, and the third time they cut it off. He it's real short, and he just jumps on the guy. You're, and you're talking about when Marissa Tomei's character tries to hustle a guy for two hundred dollars over yes, a pool game. And he doesn't pay her back. Yeah, and so we're we're introduced to that scenario, and then it comes up again because Joe Pesci is like saying, "Well, when you get to two hundred dollars, then we'll fight. He's gonna fight him for it." Yeah, and the third time the guys. I got we're, you $200 we're so, we're, here. We're, we're now we're, but I love the humor, the timing. And to me, comedy is, it's all about timing. Yeah. And like, it's perfect. He's like, I got to $200, but we're so deep into the story of Vinny. And he's like, he's, so, he's like, I don't have, right I don't have time for this. And he just jumps on, like tackles him and knocks him out and grabs the $200. And just walks off. And to me, it's great. And it's, again, it's a, it's a joke that's not overused. And the thing with the grits, like grits plays a big part in this movie. Um, I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it, but you know, he's introduced to what a grit is, and it's like, it's a very playful and funny scene. You never heard of grits? Sure, sure, I heard of grits. I just actually never seen a grit before. Yeah, honey, you can try it. You first. What is a grit, anyways? It's made out of corn. Them hominy grits. Hominy? Hmm. Hmm. How do you cook it? 
Well, you simmer it in water for 15 to 20 minutes, put it on the plate and add butter. <laughs> so, you gonna eat it or not? Grits play a strong role in the case, you, you know. Yeah. Um, but things are introduced and they're not thrown away. Like things are introduced and they're smartly used again in the script. And that's, I mean, that's I think classic, great storytelling and script writing. Yeah. And this, I, I feel this movie has like such a tight script for, especially for a comedy. This movie is what an hour in. I want to say it's. I want to say it's, it's like, like one fifty hour fifty. It's, yeah, close to two hours. It's a pretty yeah. long movie for a comedy, in yeah. my opinion. But I don't get bored by it. And even the even when they're winding down, mm-hmm. like the you know things are coming together, uh, it doesn't wear out its welcome. I think it, it it's just perfectly paced and enough story enough it's it's all around it's it's just a, it's a really well made and excellently entertaining film there's one recurring joke that happens up until the the very end and that being that joe pesci's trying to skirt around the judge of this case finding out that he's like not uh he doesn't have a lot of um credentials credentials behind him he has a law degree but he doesn't have a lot to back yeah. him up and so he's been kind of doing these little lies to to, to get around because they're like what cases have you tried so he's just like making up yeah he's just making up stuff and we th- this is another instance where this joke is carried out yeah um, but it's sprinkled in up until the very ending and with this joke in particular we get to that and we're like oh my god he's gonna find out oh my god and in one instance it's it's dealt with but it, it doesn't ever feel tired if anything you're like What's going to happen with that? Is he going to find, yeah. is the judge going to find out or what? And they don't leave anything. Again, they come back to stuff in a purposeful way. Yeah. It's not just there for humor and then thrown out. And uh, it, that is one of my favorite bits is the the joke that's used <laughs> when he's like, uh, you know, the son of Sam, he's like the, the guy that his dog told him to kill people. The judge is like, you, you represent him. He's like, no, but I, I represent the first guy that they caught. <laughs> Which is perfect yeah. because when it, what are you gonna? It's like no one's gonna lo- research, research that. Yeah, no, yeah. so it's it's uh there's a there's a there's a lot going on in the scene where he the when we're first introduced to the uh, guy that wants to fight him for the two hundred dollars. Sure, he's they're in the middle of this very heated <laughs> argument, and Joe Pesci's like all worked up, and then he like looks to they, he just looks to his left a little bit, and it cuts to a guy who's like got like a neck brace on. He's like, "Did you uh, injure yourself at your home, or, or were you at work?" You know, and he's like, I was at home, and Joe Pesci's like, damn. And he like, it cuts back. <laughs> they go back into the heated <laughs> argument discussion yeah. that they're having. It's just really good timing. And Joe Pesci, I think he's – is even in Goodfellas, like I think his timing, his comic timing, uh, he, he's really good at being like menacing but like humorous at the same time, yeah, which he, I think is something that's – you don't really – that's a thing that's like his. Like I don't see that – I guess I see in some movies, but it, he really does that well, and it's a, it's such a fine line to walk to where you're yeah. you're intimidating, but like you can be funny. I think with Joe Pesci, I mean, aside from like what I could think of, like Home Alone or the Lethal Weapon movies or something, with with Goodfellas and like My Cousin Vinny, there are instances where you he's so straightforward and so like matter of fact. And then in my cousin Vinny can like switch to like a funny moment just on a dime. Yeah. And um, I th- what I think of immediately immediately with that in uh, uh, in my cousin Vinny is the judge is 
having having an issue with how he's behaving. He doesn't like his behavior during court. And uh, the judge is like, are you on drugs? And he's like, drugs? No, sir, I don't do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like taking it seriously, but not not uh, taking in the fact that he's yeah totally talking down to him. We'll uh we'll go to another clip here. Uh, we want to talk about the 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 cast in this and Marissa Tomei. Yeah, and I think a lot of what you know, like we said, Marissa Tomei is fantastic in this. I think like she's the highlight of this film, but I think their chemistry, her and Joe Pesci's chemistry, is incredible. And I think that's a huge that plays a huge part in like any movie, but especially a comedy because you've got to bounce things off of and and I've seen a lot of comedies where they're just the two leads. They're either trying to out funny each other. They just, it, the chemistry is just kind of dead. It's just not there. And this one, I feel like the chemistry is like Evenly really matched. huge. Like right when they pull up, you're like, pow, these yeah. two characters like are, are, are even with each other. And, yeah. and I think that all the scenes they have together, especially when they're alone in the hotel or some of my, Again, what makes this movie, it elevates it. And Marissa Tomei, I think, is a big part of that. So we'll go to a clip of Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei, and then we'll come back talk about her performance in the film in more depth. You will look in the manual. You will see that this particular model faucet requires a range of 10 to 16 foot-pounds of torque. I routinely twist maximum allowable torqueage. Well, how could you be sure you used 16 foot-pounds of torque? Because... I used a Craftsman model 1019 laboratory edition signature series torque wrench. The kind used by Caltech high energy physicists and NASA engineers. Well, in that case, how could you be sure that's accurate? Because a split second before the torque wrench was applied to the faucet handle, it had been calibrated by top members of the state and federal department of weights and measures to be dead on balls accurate. Here's a certificate of validation. Dead on balls accurate. It's an industry term. So Marissa Tomei, powerhouse performance. Marissa Tomei, I've, I've never disliked her in anything. I think she's extremely talented and uh, no matter what the role, embodies it uh very well i you know i always reference this movie somehow i'm gonna bring it back to what women want i'm not saying that like what women want is an amazing movie or an amazing example of anything even in a movie like that marissa tomei who has a bit role in it um has has this character arc and she is not part of the the main story it's very much a small subplot but her character arc and how she develops it it's like you pick this A-list actor, in my opinion, for this screen time of maybe like 15, 17 minutes, and she delivers. It's one of those movies that's on T- like TBS yeah. that I can't help but watch whenever it's on. The same thing with Monster-in-Law. I should really stop talking now. So even in the smallest role, uh, Marissa Tomei can completely deliver. In My Cousin Vinny, I feel like she will, one, she completely deserve the oscar that she that she won for this I for do this too. role um she not only helps helps the story along she kind of saves the day at the end um and this her character saves the day at the end 
but the way that she and and Vinny Joe Pesci play off of each other, it is such an equal partnership, and they're both very like. They're both very strong-willed people with intense op- opinions, and um, the way that they come at each other is so evenly matched. They're both giving the same amount and taking out the same as well. And I feel that without her in in this role, um, it might have been a completely different movie. Yeah, I think if if I feel like if like the my my cousin Vinny character rolled in the town solo, oh, way it would have just been like because all the moments where he feels like he's doesn't where he shows vulnerability, mm-hmm. it comes out because he feels comfortable around her. Like when when they're in the hotel room, I think like yeah. we see the side of Vinny where you know he's taking this seriously and he he's not just showboating here like he's he has to put on a show for everybody else cuz he's trying to fake it till he makes it but when he's with her we see that he does care about tr- getting his cousin yeah off he does he's care about very making capable. winning the the case he's worried like he doesn't want to let anybody down uh, but he realizes that he he's got himself into he's muffing up a lot yeah he's he's got himself in the uncharted uncharted waters yeah and she her her role in this is to kind of push him along and at the same time giving him encouragement also being like what's the matter with you you know shape up what are you doing in there and and i do love in the end that she she challenges him all the way to the very end where he says uh because she wants to get married that's her thing and and she He's like, so uh, now I won this, you know, case. You want to marry me? And she's like, no, I don't want to marry you because you can't win a case on your own. <laughs> and it's, you know, even at the end, she's like, get, you know, I love that she challenges him. That he, you know, he she makes him the bet the better person because he he needs someone that believes in him, but it's also gonna like call him out. Yeah, it's. It, I don't want to say it's like a play fight dynamic that they have, but it is this, um, just kind of cute sassy rapport that they have with it each is, other it's a good chem it's it's just it's great chemistry and i'm I'm curious about the the uh how they got along on set yeah just like how I'd be yeah, curious, yeah i'd be curious like how the there's also like a 20 was. year age different 20 plus year age difference yeah too. which uh marissa tomei d- surprisingly looks older in this film and i don't mean mm-hmm. that in a bad way but just to have her it was like, like 27 i think yeah 27 20 and they do they you know, they make her look, I think that they're purposely with trying to make her look older and Joe Pesci look younger. Mm-hmm. Like his hair's seems like it's dyed black for the movie. Um, it does. It looks like it's Because he, he looks younger than this than he did in Goodfellas. <laughs> this yeah. came out a year or so later. Um, and also as far as like, uh, we'll get a little more to that. We'll wrap it up on cast. Like I think Fred Gwynn and Ralph Macchio really round out they do they put in very solid support yeah performances um but uh i wanted to get into the marissa tomei controversy Ooh. oscar t- controversy which uh, you know we don't uh, this isn't something that we we'll hit on a controversy well, you know I mean, it's there. not something this isn't like a you know what what's the what's the channel that does all the TMZ. Yeah, TMZ. This isn't like a it's TMZ. It's not like we're podcast, talking about but, Richard but this, Gere and the gerbil or right, something. Right, but this this was like a 
so this controversy was like a pretty huge deal because this was pre-internet. This was sort of pre... I think that this was something that would have like been addressed immediately if if it would have happened now because the age of communication and people can get on social media and discuss things. But when Marissa Tomei won the Oscar, the controversy being that she did not actually win, like the, the Jack Palance, who was the presenter, was very old and... I don't think he looked confused or anything, but because she I've was, never thought that but the the reason being was that the the controversy and the sort of uh, rumor that spread was that she was a dark horse for the Oscars. Um, my cousin Vinny wasn't nominated for any other Oscars other than her. She was the only American actress. It was mainly she was up against uh, foreign actresses and very uh, what people would consider like Oscar bait type films. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when she won. People thought that Jack Palance like screwed up, and because hers was the last name that he announced as the people who are nominated, they thought that he just said her name because he couldn't read the card or he was reading off the teleprompter. But the thing about it was, is this again? This was pre-internet, pre-social media, so this got started talking talked about in other magazines and newspapers. They didn't believe that she didn't win, but the controversy was being talked about so much in Hollywood that it grew and it kind of became like an urban legend almost like, but people bought into it. And so like, you know, all of all people of these making ma- up stuff. Yeah. It's and ridiculous. so, but then for, and I remember, I mean, I was pretty young, but I remember thinking like, Oh, like, so did she win? Did she not win? And you can, I mean, it's so much, the controversy was so big. Like you can go to snoops.com and they, explain like you know they the way the oscars run and that it won her 100 percent. like she won the oscar like there wasn't a mess up on the academy though one of the reasons why i want to bring up the controversy is because the academy did make a mistake with moonlight and yeah la la land but that was also rectified almost immediately immediately immediately, yeah so i feel bad for marissa tomei because she was this was a huge breakout hit for her and she won an oscar and then she had to live with this like for a year, people saying like, well, you didn't actually win. And I'm sure that probably her peers and like professional colleagues did not like yeah. feel that way. I but mean, it, I don't it know. Steals but your, it steals your thunder. And yeah, you know, I mean, everyone does. else got to give their speech and feel good about it. And like, you know, there was all There's these, this cloud over it. And now it wasn't just tabloids writing. It was these, these were like legitimate magazines and newspapers like printing the saying we believe she won the oscar but it was so it was such a huge controversy that they had to print it they were like this is juicy this is like um so it became almost like l- real it like became we're going like, to bring you this fake story yeah. where nothing happened now, but now we're telling we know, you now we know all news is fake but this yeah. was back when you could trust <laughs> all news sources and everything that you read was real <laughs> all all fake it, fake news basically started with uh, Marissa Tomei. I mean, is what we're what she we're started saying. fake news. Yeah, yeah, going on record right now. So, kind of a crazy controversy. I mean, that's that's pretty huge. I mean, and that sucks for her. And career. It does that, suck for her, yeah. but it's like such a. But I had to bring it up because it's is, it is such a significant you know story that is attached to this movie. Yeah. Um, and her win. So I'd love to know what her thoughts are. Yeah. On the matter. But I, I but uh, I will say that I think she deserved that Oscar. I think that Hands her performance down. in this is excellent. And I think that anybody in their right mind that would question it, like sit down and watch this movie and 
I mean, it's, you'll see you, that she, and I think because it's a comedy and I think the Oscars, they don't appreciate comedy or horror. It's something that's, that's not new, but it, they, they kind of frown upon it. And so it's like every now and then someone does a performance. that's so good like hers that they, that they have no it. choice. They, they're like, all right, we have to, we have to acknowledge this. <laughs> <laughs> this is just too good. And it's true. Really? So. She, she steals the show in this one. So uh, anyway, that's the controversy. If you want to hear more about it, um, you can look it up on the internets now. You don't have to wait to read about it. You could just Google it. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about Jonathan Lynn. The director. The director. He's had an accomplished career. I believe he had like a fairly popular television show before he, British director who started making Hollywood films in the early 80s, starting with Clue, which I'll talk about in the pick of the week. But um, I think this is his, one of his more, uh, I guess like his most well-known movie. He did Whole Nine Yards. He did uh, Sergeant Bilko with Steve Martin. He did Trial and Error. Greedy. Uh, Greedy. He did uh, Distinguished Gentleman, which I talked about earlier. Nuns on the Run, uh, The Fighting Temptations. Nuns on the Run. So it's called? No, <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just, oh. I'm just laughing about it because it's it's, it's a, been a second since I've seen it, but it looks pretty silly. I haven't seen it. It's pretty I, silly. I, think I might have seen it, but it's um, it's uh, what's his face, Eric Idle. Okay, all right. Um, but yeah, very successful. I think he's a really strong director, and I think that uh, he did have, like we said, a a law degree, and so I mm-hmm. think that it, I listened to some of the an interview with him and he, he really wanted to make sure that this was as close to like how like a trial would go down like as real as possible yeah. and all the lingo that's used the way that things are processed the way that um expert witnesses are yeah, presented the way they're examined cross-examined mm-hmm. and i want to say that it he also doesn't do like he doesn't get dramatic with the trial like some of the music does, but like there's a couple of things, but like when I compare it to like other trial films that I've seen, because yeah. the trial does take up like a fairly decent portion of yeah. the last, the, I'm pretty much the whole like last act of the movie is the trial. I think that that was a really smart and like bold decision to say, hey, instead of trying to make this super dramatic, let's like make this as real as possible. Because that's generally, when you're thinking of Hollywood films and especially like kind of big Hollywood films with name actors, embellishing is like, he's the best attorney. They're the best doctor. It's like sure. everything, you know, it's like he's the best 911 operator. <laughs> you know, like they do these, you know, and they just, <laughs> they perform things and like people who do the real jobs are like, yeah, that's pretty much like a 100% <laughs> fabrication of like what it's really like. Yeah. Um. So I thought that it was kind of unique to say like, hey, let's make this like as real as possible like well, and so much so that like you said the and it and it is it is but it's it's also very like succinct so it's like it's going to boil it down pretty quickly to where you know Vinny can cross examine somebody in under 5 minutes and if that were to happen in reality that would it would be much longer than that yeah but for comedic purposes and because it's a movie these these instances are sped along but it doesn't mean that it's uh boiled down um is not uh pretty much like how it would how how it would go down in court yeah and uh and like you were saying was it the bar association yeah the american american, american bar association they rank it as the like number three number three is the 
it, it's like the best portrayal um, or like top movies um, that are as close to being authentic, like representing um, either lawyers or courtroom trial scenes. And I, I swore I read somewhere that like this is shown in first year law student classes. Some classes will show or they recommend like viewing my cousin Vinny is a representation of how to accurately go to trial. Um, you know, a little interesting side note about the court-appointed attorney um, in, in Vinny is that that actor got, um, I think he did it as a favor to Jonathan Lynn, and he got pigeonholed, or not really pigeonholed, but he was thought of to have a stutter, and he oh, okay. he, he has he stutters at a very important, through an entire like cross-examination scene, and yeah. it's unbearable to watch. And it's been said that it was hard for him to get a role after that because whether you're thought of as a stutterer yeah, or so just, prominent. yeah. Um, so unfortunate for effective. that guy. But it's an effective, uh, Hey, a year later, used, you know? a year later he was in, um, my boyfriend's back, not to yeah. always, not to bring it back to that, but bring it, but he was, yeah. he didn't stutter in that. Well, uh, yeah, I think, there's a lot of genuine aspects of this. There's a lot of genuine emotions. It's a movie that's funny, but it's also moving. I think it's very charming. I really also think that Fred Gwynn and Joe Pesci have extremely great chemistry. I think that they play off each other really well. It seems like they're having like a really like a blast. Like it seems like it would have been a blast like working like playing off of each other. I feel like it because I mean Fred Gwynn. W- had been around I think this was actually his last role um, before he passed away he's such an accomplished actor and to have he and Joe Pesci who has such a natural style of humor and Fred Gwynn who can who can do comedy with his eyes closed and also be incredibly dramatic um, they're just two great actors that are going at each other and it's just it's a lot of fun to watch when I think too like he is the like when Fred Gwynn's character says, I don't know how they do it in New Jersey or, you know, the East Coast, but like we take that we play things by the book here. And like he immediately is sets the tone, sets a scene of like this is like the real deal, like you're in a big times like and he does it in a way that's like fun and interesting mm-hmm. and funny in it. But it sets up the story. It sets up the the challenge for Joe Pesci's character and it really like I feel if I believe him when he says it's like yeah you're not gonna mess with this judge yeah, like I'm, he's he's like an authoritative figure. I'm scared of Fred Gwynn yeah. when he lays down the law, and he and that you know. voice is perfect for judge. It's like <laughs> like I don't know if he's played a judge in any other movies before this, but you would just like he just has like a very you know because you Deep, think of a judge as like yeah. a very authoritative figure, and he has that presence down. Like I think of stature too. He like towers over. It's like him and James Earl Jones just have that presence with their voice and their like stature. Just like I immediately respect you and fear you. Yeah. (laughs) Just like you just want to just immediately answer with like yes sir. Yes sir. (laughs) Well uh let's um so my cousin Minnie I I enjoy I'm really glad we picked this one, especially after coming out of a month of really serious films, which I love both I'm glad that we took a serious turn with the podcast, mm-hmm. but it is nice to go with something a little more lighthearted. And this, this to me is like a, yeah, I would call it like a lighthearted comedy. It it's, is. This is yeah. Good, even though we're dealing with murder, yeah, it's, it's still lighthearted comedy. Yeah. 
it's going to be one that if you are stressed out or having a rough day, it's it's involved enough and intelligent of a story yeah. that you can you can get lost in the reality yeah. of this movie for a little while, which is always great when a movie can yeah. do that. This is one I really really encourage people to revisit. I my this is one it's just that fun. I watched it twice in the last you know week or so, and both times I've I was just completely enthralled in it so it might be one of my favorite joe pesci roles yeah honestly i always uh yeah i it would be third for me and i love casino and goodfellas and then this one would be and well, i love raging bull too joe pesci's good yeah he's, he's a great he's a great he's actor great. i mean you do it's like you think that you're like wait a minute he's this guy's been like he's been kind of most most movies forever. he's done like been in pretty incredible roles so yeah all right well let's uh so enough about my cousin Vinny. we'll move on to our picks of the week sounds good you did you picked i did slums of beverly, slums of beverly hills, hills this can time you tell us about slums of beverly hills and you picked it uh with the connection being again marissa marissa tomei marissa tomei is the lead actress in slums of beverly hills i don't just love her because she's italian um she really is a tremendous actress i feel like and you know, sometimes there comes a movie that through its extreme frankness makes you feel or makes you relate, even if you haven't experienced those situations personally. And what I think makes Slums of Beverly Hills so special is that the writer-director Tamara Jenkins ripped this movie straight from her own life. So it's set in 1976 and follows a divorced dad of three, of three kids, the Abramowitz family, as they skip from apartment to apartment, avoiding the landlords, lady, ladies that the dad has shacked them up with in the bill. Uh, they keep to the Beverly Hills zip code, supposedly for the, quote, good schools, though this must be during the summer because we don't really ever see the kids going to school. Um, the daughter, as we said, is uh, uh, Natasha Leone, best known for But I'm a Cheerleader, and as we've mentioned, Orange is the New Black. Um, so she's the occasional narrator, but really the main character whose emotions we uh, experience and the most adult in, in, of everyone in the movie, even though she's a teenager. So seemingly overnight, she's gotten boobs and realizes how that truly affects a young girl's life. Everyone seems to notice from her dad or two brothers, the guy next door, and she hates her impending, blossoming sexual awakening and just wants it to be over already. She wants a breast reduction. She feels like a freak, and it isn't until her completely comfortable with herself cousin Rita, who's uh, Marissa Tomei, um, cousin Rita visits or comes to live with them. Although she uh, has an eating disorder, she's recently out of rehab, aimless and secretly pregnant. Um, <laughs> it isn't until she enters the picture that Viv um, starts to feel special by just having another woman around. The entire character is almost too perfect for this. We've got Leon, Tomei, and uh, uh, Murray Abramowitz. The dad is Alan Arkin. But poor Murray. He's just trying to provide for his family. and But his divorce, gambling history, and not being the best car salesman has really left them with no money. Hence the sneaking out of apartments in the middle of the night to avoid the landlord. And this is a behavior that his family has become completely accustomed to and they live out of suitcases and it seems like a terrible life. But we get the idea that this wasn't how things had, had always had been in their lives. It's just where the family had landed now. So Slums of Beverly Hills can be looked at as somewhat depressing, but really it's just a real representation of 
how families deal with abrupt change and how it can, in the case of the Abramowitzes, make them even more tight-knit and caring, even if they are kind of gruff during the whole process. There are so many highlights to this movie, too, so many moments that make me laugh. Uh, the most memorable is uh, Natasha Leona and Marissa Tomei dancing around uh, a hotel room with a vibrator to the Parliament Funkadelics Give Up the Funk. That one never gets old. Um, another one that sticks out for me is uh, Vivian getting her period on some precious needlepoint upholstery of a woman that Murray is trying to court, and that woman is uh, played by the one and only Lucille Bluth of Arrested Development, Jessica Walter. I really can't say enough about how great Slums of Beverly Hills is. No matter what your family history, if you've struggled, if you've gone through puberty, if you've ever cared so much for someone struggling just to get by, you can find something in this movie that makes you personally respond to it. And Natasha Lyonne, girl, when I was 17 and saw this movie for the first time, well, I guess I just want to say thank you because it was pretty moving at the time. It still is. So check it out. It's truly a great movie, and it's one that shouldn't be lost in uh, independent film history. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've seen *Slums of Beverly Hills* since it came out, but I, I saw yeah. it in the theaters when it came out. I yeah. was real into the late, mid to late '90s indie film boom. Um, it was a boom, and I do remember there being a scene where they they speak their own language. That is so like, impressive. I mean, and I remember be, that being like, how did they? Mem- you know, it's like seems no very idea. tough to memorize. Like they did it it's, though, and it's I, real crazy. Yeah, uh, uh, Leon and Tomei totally do this gibberish language, but it's it's obviously not that they're um, I, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's not they're not just like making sounds. Like you can tell that it is a language. Yeah, it has like it's, it's like, like it seems it's a little bit like Pig Latin. Like it has that same yeah. cadence or whatever the way it's phrased, but yeah, it's their own thing that they and they it was like. It, it's presented in the movie like, oh, do you remember when we used to do this? And they like yeah, fall into the scene really great. It's I remember that being like really impressed me. It's but super impressive. I always love your picks of the week. It's it, they always it's it's eighty percent of the time. Yeah, you pick them, and I feel like it's always something I've seen. Us, I'm like, how, how have I not seen this? You know, like so long. What's but that? You've seen it though. Yeah, Maybe, I've seen yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I said that's a B minus. It's not a that's not a bad average. Eighty percent of the yeah, time. I mean, you know. Well, your pick of the week this time around is, I love this one. Yeah, never gets old. I feel like nervous about doing my pick of the week because oh, you're like it. so versed in this movie, and I I hope I can do it justice because I didn't know it. that you were as a big a fan of this as as you were. It's just a great movie. A lot yeah. of people didn't care for it. Well, earlier you were. It seemed like a different story. You seem pretty. I mean, do you do you want to fight again? You seem pretty judgy about. We can. We whether can. Or not I like the movie. So. We can fight. Vinny's already bringing out my Italian heritage. Yeah. So if you want to fight, we'll. Uh, I'll do my pick of the week, and then we'll we'll hash it out off. I off am the wearing mics. a gold chain necklace on top yeah. of a black shirt right now, so yeah. not to be with my shirt sleeves rolled up. So the Italian vibe is strong. Yeah. There's so. not a, there's not any sort of uh, doubt that you could could <laughs> not take me in a throwdown. So You're right. I wouldn't. My five four against your six two, uh, six, six four, six three, whatever. Yeah, totally evenly matched. Yeah. You're right. The movie Clue. Yes. Uh, 
written and directed by Jonathan Lynn, one of his uh, his first American film, um, brought into the project via John Landis. Uh, Jonathan Lynn was just visiting America and was checking out Hollywood, and uh, he was friends with John Landis, and John Landis said, hey, we're trying to make a movie about the Parker Brothers board game Clue, and Jonathan Lynn just like, yeah, that sounds pretty ridiculous, but... <laughs> John Landis was like, you should take a crack at it. Like, so he went back to uh, his home, wrote a script for a clue, brought it back to Hollywood, and uh, they loved it. I guess this movie had been in development for a while. There had been like five or six scripts written. So Clue was not a game that I, that I played a lot when I was younger. Of all the Parker Brothers games, it was not. But it's like a whodunit mystery. There's, it's like a murder mystery game and there's there can be a lot of different ways the game can end with who committed the crime with what form of weapon you know and there's so there's different characters with different murder weapons like there's like a pipe a rope a gun a dagger uh, a wrench which just seems kind of menacing it's like a blunt object but um, I think the movie does a really good job of, I mean, the best way that you could handle a board game, bringing a board game to life, um, I think that the movie, this movie is like a really fun way of introducing all these characters that, that, that the board game created in the possible scenarios of like who could possibly have done it. So Clue is uh, much like My Cousin Vinny, but even more so an, an ensemble cast type movie. So Tim Curry plays the butler. They all meet, all the characters meet at this mansion. They've all been given a letter to meet this evening for dinner. And we come to find out that the main host, Mr. Body, has been blackmailing all these people. He ends up dead and it becomes a mystery of like, how did Mr. Body get killed? And uh, most of this is moderated, like the group is moderated through Tim Curry, who plays the butler. He brings everybody in and everybody's introduced through his character and their name. And they have all been given names uh, like Miss Peacock, like the game. He's Wadsworth, Miss White, uh, Professor Plum. Like they've been, been given all these like names. So no one knows each other's real name, which kind of adds to the fun. And I thought it was a good way to incorporate... Uh, the way the game Clue works. This is basically like your standard whodunit mystery. There is a lot of information, so it's one that, when I first started watching it, it's, a, it's one that, that helps to have a second uh, viewing if you haven't seen it before, because there is a lot of information that's coming at you. Kind of rapid fire, really, to be honest. Um, it's a rapid fire script. Toward the end of the film, there are three endings, and much like how the game Clue ends, there can be alternate endings. They wanted to do this with a film, and this was actually uh, John Landis uh, was the producer on the film and got Jonathan Lynn involved. And it was his idea that they shoot these multiple different endings. When you could see it on VHS and when it came to DVD, they play all three endings. Like you see them, all the alternate endings. You see uh, the two possible endings and then what, what really happened, what was the ending. Uh, but when this movie was released theatrically, they had a, I will, I'll say the word gimmick. And it was each theater, depending on what screening you went to, you didn't know what ending you were going to see. And so, but they would say, the theater would say like, this is ending A, this is ending B, like this is ending C. So if you were really loved the film, you could 
go to the different theaters, different screenings, and see the various alternate endings. Supposedly, they shot a fourth ending, which Jonathan Lynn said was so terrible he like has no memory of the ending. But it was one where Wadsworth, Tim Curry's character, is like mastermind the whole thing and like committed all the crimes. Um, but he said it was terrible. But a uh, huge ensemble cast. Um, Tim Curry, like I said, plays Wadsworth. We've got Eileen Brennan, uh, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKean, Martin Mull, Leslie Ann Warren, Colleen Camp, uh, Lee Ving from uh, the band Fear. Uh, and this is a film that I think really, we were actually having a discussion about cult films earlier today in our various definitions of what a cult film is but to me clue has a lot of culty things you know we've got the john lannis attachment a lot of these actors have been in like other culty type movies uh but ultimately i think it's a movie that people either say yeah i've never heard of it or like i love that movie and they love it like you know you were saying you there's you told me a lot of people you know that like absolutely adore this film and i can understand why it's 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 extremely fun and Back to the physical comedy, there's a scene where Tim Curry is explaining to the group, and this is a, it's very rare in a movie where you see like eight to ten people on screen all in the same shot, and Tim Curry's like explaining information, and he's running through the house, and they're following him like, chasing after him and like you know you have like eight people in the scene update people in the scene and they're like he's like and then we went over here and then I went over here and then this happened and you know and he's like not to make a long you know he's like to make a long story short and they're and they all in unison are like too late you know they're like all like shouting in unison and it's this very exhausting hilarious uh, amazing performance from an ensemble cast where they're I mean everybody has to play together and I can't imagine the blocking that it, that it must have taken to pull these shots off. Uh, I mean, it's it's really it's really kind of amazing. It almost has like a I think like these ending like this movie could have functioned as like a, as a theatrical play. Like, and it does. I I think like it's very atmospheric. There's a lot of humor in this movie that. Uh, it's just it's just kind of silly you know i mean like he accidentally there's like these two dogs that are like doberman pinchers that are or there's several dogs in it but there's two german shepherds in the beginning and tim carey the the who plays a butler like steps in dog poop and then like scrapes it off his shoe but like the first three or four people that enter the house kind of like that like after he leaves they like check their shoes they like get a whiff of it and it's just it's silly it's kind of like lowbrow but there's like all these kind of little things that come into play even though John Landis I don't think had out of like a producer role or like you know uh spearheading the project though he I don't think his involvement was huge I do see a lot of his influences in the film the comedy and that very 80s like sort of like it's very dry a lot of the times for Jonathan Lynn's first time doing a, a Hollywood movie, his first attempt. I think it was excellent. And also a movie that sadly was not successful at the box office, but um, it's a really well-made film has a lot of atmosphere, a lot of that sort of rainy uh, it's lightning thunder. It all takes place on a, dark night like stormy night in a mansion really great set pieces and it's it's a really finely crafted well-made film it's a, it's a fun movie to revisit go back and see all these people together on the screen um all a lot of them 
comedic actors uh, that allow each other their moment to breathe. I think that's something that a good comedian does is they know when to tell the joke and when to let the other person tell a joke. And I think a lot of that is, is what happens in Clue. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. I'm glad I'm going to watch it again uh, very soon because it, it is a, there's a tremendous amount of information. Uh, there, there's a lot going on. The, all of the actors involved, I think make that movie work. Like you said, the, the set's great and it is set up very much like a play. Um, but everyone involved in it, adds so much to it and they're all I mean Madeline Kahn Michael McKean like they're all incredible and if there's if there's a movie that will make you want to just watch a bunch of Tim Curry movies this is it I mean he's fantastic yeah that guy anything that he's in he is legendary for sure and he has such a distinct look I mean just everything the way he says words I mean he always yeah. he's one of the few people who are just like go to a close-up I want to like just see the way he's like saying words if there's anyone that can communicate emotion with his eyes it's yeah. Tim Curry yeah and it never feels to me it never feels over the top it's like Mm-mm. just the right amount of <laughs> like I don't like to use the word melodrama but that's what's coming to mind yeah but it is yeah. a very it's an intentionally dramatic look and tone but somehow feel it it's 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 he's doing his own thing he's just it's 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 great he's it's worth the movie just to see tim curry is the we also can't forget that um christopher lloyd's in this too yeah and christopher lloyd everybody in it's great everybody everybody and it's like so great and everybody in it gets their moment to Mm -hmm. shine um there's a tiny little bit part i want to make sure gets mentioned too is that jane weedland from the go-go's is the very very small part and very short-lived but she's the singing telegram girl that gets oh that gets okay i did not know that yeah well um so that's clue the movie and uh slums of beverly hills our picks of the week so that brings us to one of my favorites favorite moments at the podcast and that is your murray moment Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes embrace all striking. Quiz time. What's a movie wherein our Billy Murray plays an attorney from the South? Anything come to mind? Well, Billy's well known for showing up in feature films where he's in a bit role or a cameo, and there's one in my mind where he absolutely shines, but I feel like he's often forgot and forgotten that he was ever in it. Man, you got my mind, like my brain is like really searching right now. I know you know it. All right, so what's the movie? Do I, do I get a second clue, or is this... No. That's it? That's it. I mean, that's really... I'm, I'm just going to come out with it. It's right. a little overly dramatic, neo-noir, sexy crime drama, maybe? Anything? Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid? No. Dang it. 
I um, feel stupid that I don't know this now. You know it. It's this little known movie called Wild Things. Oh, dang it. <laughs> I knew you knew I knew you knew it. Um yeah. okay, so now I haven't seen Wild Things a long time, but yeah, <laughs> he has a pretty Yeah. Yeah, it's a big group. I was for some it's reason not like a when supporting you said, role. Yeah, for some reason like I was my mind started searching for like I was thinking like a two minute cameo. <laughs> Not okay. Not I blame not you. quite that. Small. I blame you. For You're that. right. I'm I misled you, but maybe that was intentional. I don't know. So for those of you out there, maybe now you remember Bill Murray being in this movie. Wild Things was um, a movie with so many twists and turns that even after it's over, you think that maybe there's something left that you don't know the full story. And like my cousin Vinny, Billy's character, attorney Ken Bowden, plays the legal system, um, and neither Ken nor uh, Vinny are, are, are crappy lawyers. They just know how to play the game and ultimately get to the truth, that being that their separate clients are actually innocent of their accused crimes. The tone of Wild Things, whether you laugh at ridiculous dialogue or over-the-top acting, is very much intended to be a serious movie. And it is. It's a damn fine movie, really, that borders on being too complicated and unbelievable, but that aside, um, what makes... Bill Murray's role so perfect and ultimately a great moment in his career is that his character exists in a completely different tone than the rest of the movie. Ken is happy as a lark doing fraudulent insurance claims and sticking up for the little guy. He's a shyster of an attorney, but he gets the job done. In true Billy form, the way in which he moves through the Wild Things world um, is always with a sly, cunning sarcasm. Billy's style of humor is also very appropriate for an attorney, I think. It's kind of patronizing, a little logical, or I mean very logical and very rational. While the plot of the movie is twisted and dark, Billy injects such humor into the story that he actually makes you laugh when you're not supposed to be laughing or think something's funny. When Ken wins a multi-million dollar lawsuit, he takes the settlement agreement and excitedly rubs it all over his body in front of his client. This is Billy. This is what you get when you hire Bill Murray for a role like this. He brings levity to an overly dramatic movie by injecting comedy when you're least expecting it. Now, I won't ruin anything um, about the movie for those of you who haven't seen Wild Things, um, or maybe you can't remember how the movie finally twists into the ending, but let's just say Billy char Billy's character is smarter than you might have thought. Now, at this time in his career, he had... Um, a string of movies like in the early to mid 90s that could have or should have done better at the box office in my opinion or maybe just didn't hit audiences the way that they were intended. The reason I wanted to bring up Wild Things is because this was the last big hurrah before Rushmore hit and then all of a sudden the entire rest of the world rediscovered Bill, Bill Murray through the eyes of Wes Anderson. Um, and from this point on, his career took a completely different turn um, into a mature realm that I don't really know if anyone saw coming. So our Billy playing attorney Ken Bowden in Wild Things is this week's Murray moment. So go check out the film if you haven't seen it. I promise you it's one of the best uh, things about the movie. Definitely a it's a sleazy movie. It's not controversial, but it's, it's super sleazy. It's sleazy. Everybody, even it, Bill Murray sleazy. It might be one of the sleaziest movies with it's like big marquee bag names heavy. for big marquee names. Yeah, and for the '90s, the '90s weren't really known for sleaze. It was like a little more glossy. Um, 
I just watched it again the other day and was like, yeah, this movie is not bad yeah. at all. I'm going to check it out again. It's been a while. I, I probably watched it, I don't know. It's probably been like 10 years. I wish I could remember what it was like to first watch it because I, I feel like everyone always says, the first time you watch Sixth Sense, like you never saw it coming. And I feel like Wild Things is almost like, there's so many twists that like I kind of forgot like how far it goes and it's if you haven't seen it it's really fun just for for that aspect but it's yeah. a complete sleazeball movie it's yeah. great so that's your Murray moment wild things if you haven't seen it our picks of the week clue the movie slums, slums of, beverly. of beverly hills my cousin Vinny. So happy to talk about that one I, and and make you remember it. There there um, there are countless things to talk about from this movie, and we hope that uh, maybe this has inspired you to revisit this uh, Marissa Tomei and Joe Pesci. Yeah, hands down, it's it's fun, full of entertainment. I highly recommend it. What are we doing next uh, podcast? What's coming up? I think. Um, the next one that we're doing, hold on, what is today? Today is my cousin Vinny. Oh, we're in. So this is our, we're getting into, it's Christmas. Our next podcast is on Christmas. We've got a special holiday year-ending surprise for you. Yeah. And um, it's our 20th episode. And our 20th episode. Kind of a big I'm, deal. I'm pretty. Kind of a B-day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big you know, deal Kind of a us, thing. Yeah. Um, but we've decided not to do a Christmas movie. This was like a bit of, we had to there are plenty of Christmas movies to Felt do. Felt too on the nose to do yeah. a Christmas movie on Christmas. And not everyone, you know, loves Christmas. One believes in Christmas. Right. Or like whatever. So what we're, we're, we're giving you a gift at the end yeah. of the year, which is... We're doing a film from every religion. <laughs> no, no. We're doing sequels that don't suck. That's right. Sequels that don't suck. So um, we're still kind of mulling over our options here, and we're gonna give you little tidbits on everything. So we're kind of we're gonna break the mold a little bit. And, yeah, we're doing multiple films, and this yeah. is a, I I I, I want to put it out there. I don't because I feel like the t the sequels that don't suck is like we're not being snooty. There's plenty of sequels that I yeah, think. Yeah, but it, that's just being catchy. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, there's plenty of sequels that they kind of suck, but they're like, they're not, you know, you can watch them. But I think what we're trying to do is hand select the best sequels that kind of came out of the, probably mostly the 80s. Or maybe a sequel that you don't know about that existed that you're like, hey, that one was actually really good. Right. Um, I I think we've got some. Yeah. I think we've got some good ones. There's one that we're doing that I think is better than the original. Oh, I think I yeah. know which one. No, no. Gremlins too. Okay. Well, spoiler so alert. Spoiler alert. Gremlins, Gremlins two is going to be in the mix. <laughs> yeah, I'm lobbying for okay. Joe Dante. Okay. Okay. Um, we're gonna have. I think we're doing like four or five movies. We're. we're it's. You, yeah. You're gonna see. Yeah. It. But There's anyway. gonna be one I'm gonna press you to let me do, but I understand if you don't let me, it's fine. Yeah. You've yeah you've you can keep me very back in rarely the had to apply much pressure to, <laughs> to 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 break me to to cater to your whims. Let's just say it's got Natasha Leone, and I know yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Do I not say anything. I believe I do. <laughs> um, 
I think I acquired that one for you. You did. In in Peoria, Illinois, of all places. Um, proud of it too. But uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be we're excited. Twenty episodes. It's on Christmas. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. That's kind of where we're we do our most of our uh, information is Instagram. It's my favorite of all the social media yeah. outlets. Um, we're on there. Don't push pause podcast. Facebook is more of our informational launch when we do each episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you want to see what's coming up next, um, go to Don't Push Pause Podcast uh, on Facebook. Pretty much everything that we've done, every episode we have available on our website. If you want to check out back episodes, kind of see what we're about, where we're coming from, there's a lot of information available on us personally. Don't push pause And if you just want to send a message out, you know, good, bad, ugly, we love it. We love to hear from people. Don't push pause podcast, gmail.com. As much as we love to do this, it's knowing people are listening is what makes a lot of this worth it. And um, we hope that we are doing these films justice, giving you some good information, sparking discussions, sparking good topics. Again, thank you uh, so much for listening. Um, Until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thanks for listening. Thank you.